Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host. And today on the show, we join with Stella Sinanai and Tana Ottinger from Empowered to Connect to talk about uh, how we give voice to our kids. This is uh, a really unique perspective we get today from Stella being someone who um, came to the U.S. as a younger person without um, a firm grip in the language yet, which you will hear about. Um, And her perspective in this is is really, really um, both important and and interesting. So I think you want to stick around for that. Um, But this principle is uh, peppered throughout all of Empowered to Connect's content, as well as um, really any gentle or, or connected parenting uh, perspective that you look for. And so um, the idea of, of allowing our kids to um, have a voice, to cultivate that voice, and to use that voice to get their needs met is hugely important. And so um, a really great, important episode today. And so uh, without any further ado, here are Stella and Tana and myself talking about how to give our kids voice. Well, today we're talking about um, our eighth connecting practice, and it is giving voice. And so we brought um, a longtime friend. You've heard her a few times on the on the show here, um, but therapist Ellison and I with us. And so she is here as well as Tana Ottinger. And so we're going to talk about giving voice. And um, I was telling you before we started recording this one, this is one that has become uh, near and dear to us. I think with our um, with, with one of ours in particular at home, this has become uh, a huge win for us. I feel like we've seen a, a ton of growth in this area. And so, um, I know that, you know, that will probably in the next season of life just flip on its head and then it'll turn back on me. But for right now, it's going <laughs> great. Um, and it's been really, it's been really good. And so, um, you may hear in the background said child, um, giggling or asking a question or whatever. And, if you do, that's because uh, she is here. It's summertime. We are all just, you know, balancing schedules. Just and making it happen. We're just making it happen. <laughs> just making it yeah. work. So um, thank you all for being here. Why, why don't we do kind of what we've been doing, Tana, and just set yeah. the stage for when we say giving voice, like yep. uh, why don't we kind of define that for, for everybody tuning in today? Sure. Um, so when we think about giving voice here at Empower to Connect, we think about empowering a child's sense of self-agency and that confidence to advocate for themselves. And that belief system inside, like the deep, deep belief that they can influence their circumstances. So when we give voice, we do things like share power, give win-win choices, offer developmentally appropriate compromises. And we'll talk through all of that as we kind of keep talking. Um, What is really wonderful is as we give voice, we're allowing our child to practice telling us those things in like childhood and telling safe adults what they need and negotiating those needs. Hopefully as we keep supporting and scaffolding them developmentally appropriate. And so it's a life skill that we can actually be intentional to practice when our children are young or even in teenage years. So JD, to your point, and I I mean, we'll sort of get into the the meat of all of this, but this idea of like giving our children voice and self-agency was one of the massive early mindset shifts that Mo and I had to make when we started parenting in this way. Like it was a major like 180 situation. Yeah, You know, it, it, it does, it kind of comes up a little bit against that like 
do it because I said so when I said so right now, like sort of that, like, at least for us, that parenting uh, modality that we were sort of starting our parenting journey under. And so it was so interesting to sort of start thinking about what is this idea of giving voice and why is it so incredibly important for our kids? Um, Anyway, I love it. It's been life-changing for our family and we'll, we'll get to talk about all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah, and and Stella, I mean, part of our reason in, in wanting you specifically to talk uh, today about this is that um, this is a lot of your work, right? Like clinically, a lot of your work deals with helping kids um, in this area. And so, um, you know, from your perspective, from a professional perspective, do you want to talk some about why this is such an emphasis in uh, your work? Yeah, well, many of the clients that I see come to me uh, with different needs, and one of them is low self-esteem, not being confident enough to express their needs. Um, Many of them also like um, show a lot the phone response, kind of like pleasing all the time their caregivers Mm. or authority figures, which would be me in that case. Um, And it's a struggle to actually express what they need in that specific moment. Um, And one of the things that I as a therapist can ruin that is by coming with my own agenda and assuming that what the child needs is what I think they need, instead of actually allowing space for them to explore with me, for me to be curious about um, their needs and to create space for those needs to be expressed. Um, Mm -hmm. So some of the situations that I notice um, as a therapist, like even recently I had a session and I had my own idea of how the client would process this Mm -hmm. family dynamic. And instead of just... Um, imposing my agenda on them, I kind of like created space at the end to check with them and see if that's actually what they wanted to process. Um, and that changed the entire dynamic. The client came up with this wow. creative art activity on how they wanted to process um, their need for safety in the family. And it was beautiful. And it was like um, just very impactful to see how they can find the way and can use the words to express their needs. But often if we come with our own agenda as parents or as therapists or as just like other fellow humans in the path of other people, um, we can definitely ruin that moment uh, without even realizing. So, yeah. So, you know, when, Tana, when you were kind of giving the overview to this, uh, one of the first core components of this is just absolutely terrifying to most adults, right? Like when you talk about sharing power, um, and it, it terrifying might not be the right word, but just it causes some of us to lock up and say like, absolutely not. Like you're the authority. Like you don't give your authority away. Like, so why don't you, can you help reframe that for us? Yeah. When I, you know, Mark and I's situation and circumstances coming to this idea of like giving voice and sharing power specifically realizing that we were parenting kiddos who had experienced some adversity and had experienced some attachment wounds and had experienced some traumatic experiences. And so their behavior was some, there was some, some confusing behavior there, some things that we didn't really understand. And I love Stella used the word curiosity because we know that's like one of our favorite words around here. So like just starting to be curious about like what's happening there And what we began to uncover, and it was really different. I mean, it's different for me. It's different for every single person. Right. 
But this idea of like having the ability to have self-agency and change my, like speak on behalf of myself, speak, like be able to change my circumstances specifically with kids who've experienced trauma and, or, or a lot of adversity where their world was out of their control and how they internalize that and how that comes out in ways that might be confusing to us and might surprise us if we understand the motivation there is some survival and some need to like adapt in order to just be okay when the things around me are not okay. So it can actually come out looking like, you know, we would hear things like, oh, they're manipulative or they're controlling and sort of assign those motives to the kids when if we can just step back a minute and honor like their environment and their situation and how they're internalizing maybe some of their situation. It makes sense to us then. Then the behavior has meaning and it has some meaning that we can understand. So then it's about, okay, how can I honor this human no matter how old they are, if they're two or five or 14 or my spouse or my friend? Like how can I honor their sense of self-agency and ability to have a voice in this world? And what role can I play in giving it to them if they don't, you know, or creating space, like Stella said, for them to like have felt safety enough to tell me what it is they need. And y'all, it's it's something that you really have to step back and be really intentional and really self-aware And we can talk a little bit more about sharing power, but Stella, do you have something to add to that? Yeah. And also like the, the thing with sharing power, um, I think where it becomes very tricky is that we as adults want to control the outcome so badly and sharing that power can feel very intimidating for that reason as well. So Mm -hmm. kind of like exploring our motives, like why do I need to control the outcome of this situation? Like what are my fears how can I meet those fears as an adult in a way that they don't get in the way of um, the needs of this child and sharing power with them? I feel like that's huge. Um, and in that way, sharing power might not be as intimidating anymore, but it can be just an opportunity to connect and bond deeper and allow space for two human beings that have needs, share them and find a middle ground. So um, as an adult, I would definitely explore where does that need to control come from and how can I cope with that differently? I love that, Stella, because really what we know is that it's not healthy for the parent to have all the power mm-hmm. and it's not healthy for a child to have all the power, yeah. but it is about that shared sense of power where we are two people present in this moment, whatever the situation might be, and we can negotiate our way forward. So kind of when we talk about shared power, we say like in developmentally appropriate levels of control. Mm -hmm. So what, what level of control can we give them to even for those kiddos who have had experiences where they had no power and their voice and power were literally taken from them? How can we be intentional about giving it to them in even sort of small ways, in ways that you think might not make an impact, but it does give them a sense of self-agency. And that's when we start thinking about those practical things, like 
offering choices and offering compromises. Like how do that the intentional steps of those two practices help build a child's sense of self-agency choice and voice? Um, and so to your point, Stella, I, I do know, I mean, it was, that's why I said it was a major mindset shift. That sense of fear that, oh my goodness, if I, if I give them control, I've lost it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm still the wiser, to talk about like use circle of security words, I'm still the wiser, kinder adult in the situation. I have, I have power I can share. And knowing I'm doing it in order to help my child grow into the adult that I kind of probably know I want which is one that can stand up for themselves and use their voice and protect themselves. So we sort of, I think, sometimes don't give our children any voice or power when they're little and then have this expectation that they're going to be strong enough to suddenly use it when they're adults when we can mentor that when they're little. So maybe we could talk about the idea of, of choices and, and compromises a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Yeah, before we jump into that, I, I would just say like to think one of the... These different principles stick with people for different reasons, obviously. But like for me, the the big light bulb was was that last part you talked about. Just remembering, oh yeah, like I the end result of starting this now is going to be independence and confidence and growth and somebody who is able to be in the world and really navigate it and 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 have confidence to do so. And as somebody who really struggled with that when I first got independently into the world, like, oh, I long for that for all my kids, right? And especially if there had been hurdles or or will be hurdles um, that are not their fault that that get in the way of those things, then all of a sudden, well, absolutely, I'm willing to share some power. And absolutely, I'm willing to show them what that looks like now and to teach them negotiating their needs. It is so much harder to do at this stage of life, like when they're little and it's messy and you're just stumbling through it, because for a lot of us, we're just starting to do it too for the yeah. first time, right? And so I think that's just something to keep in mind is that, um, you know, some of us are going to give this a try and immediately be like, nope, 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 mm-hmm. nope, nope, nope. What I got back is too much voice and I do not want that voice again. And just just a reminder that like, the, we got to walk before we crawl with these, or crawl before we walk with these things. And, and getting started now does begin to hit, I'll say, a few you know, years in and several children into trying this now, I can, I can kind of tell you like the, when the fruit comes from this, it is really, really, really good and helpful. So, um, you know, the mechanisms to do it though are very important. So do you want to start, um, would you rather start with talking about compromises first or giving choices? Maybe choices, but you know, JD, you just said something that made me go, oh, that's it. Maybe we should say this before we go into like a little bit of the nuance of it. If you've got a kiddo whose behavior maybe is volatile or, you know, is is disarming you, I mean, dis, d- alarming you, right? And you don't know what to do. You can't just make a kiddo who is struggling with their behavior just stop. They have to have something to do instead. They need a replacement yeah. option. So I want you to think, for some of you guys that are listening, thinking about this idea of giving voice as a way to support behavior that is not working for you and your child and family, giving voice is very often what they need in order to stop said behavior, whether it's tantrums or whining or, you know, 
melting down, maybe you've got some thoughts about this too, Stella, giving voices the answer because it's what empowers them with what they need to do instead of that maladaptive behavior that they're using to get their needs met. Because as humans, we're going to try to figure it out. Like we're going to figure out how to get our needs met in in ways that suit us and our family unit or or ways that are, you know, hard. I don't know, Stella, what's on your mind when you hear me say that? I immediately went to a situation that I was in recently um, with a kid. Basically, we were stuck. There was some correction that we were doing, and um, there was no way that I could engage this child in any, like, frontal cortex, uh, you know, work, um, because they were dysregulated, feelings were hurt, and um, all of that was happening. And giving, I remember, like, my brain went, like, okay, I don't know what to do. Um, And I thought, okay, giving choices. And I thought two activities that I think that this child loves because of, you know, previous Mm -hmm. relationship established. I gave those two choices and the child looked at me. This child um, just avoided making eye contact for like the longest time. Looked at me in the eyes, picked one of those choices, and then we shifted energy. We just moved to something else. And meanwhile, as I offered those two choices, I also offered a compromise on when to discuss the correction thing that needed oh, to be. Oh, I love that. I love that. So not only this mm. child had the opportunity to shift energy and kind of like engage more like frontal cortex through those choices, but also they had a say on when the conversation that was hurtful for them needed to happen. Um, and I had to like humble myself in that situation, right? Because as the as the older person, we want to have control and we're like, no, I'm not letting you do this. Like, right. um, you're going to follow my lead and this is what uh, we're going to do together. So the beauty of connecting so deeply and also like allowing space for that voice to come your way in a, in a constructive way was just like, yeah was just beautiful. So I had no, never combined choices and compromises at the same time. I was like, this is going to be overwhelming, but it worked out. Mm. So um, I don't know. Anytime we need to shift some energy around, I feel like choices can get us unstuck. Um, and they empower the child. And they also give us some control back because we are the ones offering those choices. And we're just what we want to do together. That's right. That's right. So you just said something I think that can help us as adults go, oh, I can do this. Because I'm not giving up all the power. Mm-hmm. So let's like talk about what choices are. They're, they're two adult-provided options that like meet the needs of the moment and like, like the constraints of whatever is happening environmentally. So in your situation, the need of the moment was we need to get unstuck and move forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you were doing this, but like maybe in other circumstances or maybe like I would do it, maybe like double down on the, you know, the correcting whatever they're doing wrong. And I love that idea of shifting energy. So Mm -hmm. you stood back for a minute and thought, okay, this isn't going the way we both need it to go. And we've got to stop this behavior for whatever reason. So the two choices were you, you led them. We can get to the compromise in a minute, but there's a couple of things that choices are, and there's a couple of things that they're not. So in the world of giving voice and empowered to connect, and this is very in line with TBRI, trust-based relational intervention, two choices are win-win situations. It is not 
this and a correction, which is often how we would use a choice, right? Or I'm going to say I would have historically and, mm-hmm. and still would de- default to because it's pretty human nature to sort of say do this or the consequences A, B, C, or D. That's a threat of consequence. That is not a choice. Yeah. So a choice is, um, I don't, I'll we'll keep playing out the scenario that you gave. Um, maybe you said, hey, you know what, but why don't we either, I know maybe it was one of the clients at Memphis Family Connection Center. Why don't we go play air hockey or let's go play, you know, a game of toss up. Mm-hmm. And those are the two choices. Both of those were within the scope of your control. They were things you knew that the kiddo might like to do. And it, you're right, it shifts energy. It diffuses situation. It, the child is not getting away. They're not going to continue doing what you needed him to stop doing. He stopped doing it by going and doing the two things right, you said right. he could do instead. Yeah. So oftentimes we want them just to like stop on a dime because we're the ones in control and we're the adult. When they literally, possibly physically, because of what's going on in their brain body, and emotions, and they're flooded, They maybe they actually cannot until they know the pathway forward. So saying in a moment of correction, you know, clearly you can do this or you can do this, it does shift the attention off of what's going on. Now, I like that you said you came back around, you guys worked through it, and you worked through whatever the original thing was, which we need to do. And we'll talk some more about that in the podcast episode next week on rupture and repair. Like how do we come back and sort of repair when things have gone off track, but you can give choices in the middle of a con, like a moment when you need a kid to stop doing a behavior. Now we'd like to talk about how to get to that place, which is to give choices outside the moment in everyday situations, give voice. Hey, sweetie, would you like for breakfast today? You, it doesn't have to be an open-ended question. If you know that you could make cereal or a bagel. Hey, babe, would you like a cereal or bagel this morning? Like working in, like starting that rhythm of like every single thing that you could without overwhelming the child, you know, your kid's best. Try to work in some choices instead of being super, if you can, when you're really directive, think, oh, can I give a choice here instead? You know, where can I let them have some agency over what we do today or what they wear or what they eat for lunch or, um, you know, setting an agenda for the night. So it can be adult directed when, when choices, uh-huh. not, yeah. not consequences. And I also wanted to say like the, the reason why choices are so important for healing, it's not just for us to get unstuck from a situation. It is practical in some ways to continue and connect with a child, but uh, from a trauma perspective, when a child has experienced trauma or an adult as well, trauma doesn't give you any choices. And that's what makes you feel stuck constantly. Um, so choices basically provide you with an opportunity to make a decision for yourself that at some point in your life you couldn't. And even though it seems like such a small thing, it's mm-hmm. so healing. And especially when there's repetition, your brain learns that maybe I am empowered and maybe, yes, those things happen to me at some point, but that doesn't mean that I have no control and no choices moving forward. So it sounds like a small little thing, but in the long run, it's one of the most healing experiences that one can have. So I really want to emphasize on that from a trauma perspective. I love that. Yeah, that's really good. Well, I think just, you know, 
being an adult and thinking like, uh, this is kind of how we think when it comes to responsibilities. Like sometimes you've got things that have piled up on you and you know that it's not negotiable whether or not you're going to get them done. But you've got to start processing through and think like, well, which one do I want to do first? And so you're able to let your personality play into that because some of us are going to choose the hardest thing first. Some of us will choose the easiest things first. Some of us will knock out the shortest task first, some the longest, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, what we can do and offer to them in these moments is like, uh, so we've got a neighbor, their kid cannot handle more than two choices. We have a child who needs lots more than two choices. Like what can I do for breakfast? How about cereal or uh, eggs? Like, that's it. What else? What other options? And like, there are other options, you know, like there are more things. So so with him, I know I'm just going to rattle off nine or 10 things that'd be good choices. And then he's got freedom to go and like creativity to go, oh, can I do cereal and carrots or whatever weird thing he might choose <laughs> to do that morning? And then I'm like, yeah, sure, that's awesome because it's on the list of things that I, I gave them. You know, our, our neighbor on the street, like if we're giving them things to do, it's like, hey, you want to jump on the trampoline or play baseball? And that way he's able to zone in on which option of the two, because he's going to have joy fatigue if you give him more than one option. Then he's afraid he's going to miss out on something and he doesn't know. So usually those two choices help him to narrow it down. So I think just keep in mind as you're doing this too, like you're, you're just helping your kids learn preferences, but you're getting that window for them into like how they decision make and how they, how they function best in those. Um, compromises kind of happen uh, and we, we use this like the compromise language in ETC kind of when the choices run dry or when they don't work, right? So like when we're, uh, sometimes you get the two choices and what you get back is uh, voice, like (laughs) (laughs) Um, words that may or may not be appropriate, right? And so then at that point, you can pull your Karen Purvis impersonation, tighten up the language a little bit and say, oh, it sounds like you're asking for a compromise. So uh, Tana, do you want to kind of walk through compromises and kind of our our viewpoint (laughs) Yeah. So I, lo- I actually love compromises. I know I just said I love choices, but I really love me a good compromise, y'all. When we think about like the hallmarks of secure attachment, and we talk about those, you know, throughout our, our episodes here, but what are like the hallmarks of secure attachment are the ability to give care, to seek and receive that care, to negotiate needs and have a sense of independence and healthy, like a healthy sense of independence. So allowing a child, teen, tween, adolescent, or adult, to have a pathway that is acceptable in the culture of your family, to have a different opinion than what has just been said, is incredibly powerful and can actually really help build connection and trust and felt safety between you and your kid. And interestingly enough, over time, with practice, can curb behavior that is something that might, again, sort of be perplexing you. So I'm going to give you an example. If you're uh, at a park and you sort of give your kiddos a five-minute warning or say, or maybe you don't give a five-minute warning, that's probably would have helped you not need a compromise. But what if you just said, hey, guys, it's time to go. And Billy, I don't have a kid named Billy, but Billy starts whining and fussing and complaining. His behavior is telling you that he's not happy about what just was told to him, which is it's time to go. So again, instead of telling Billy just to stop it, you can see, oh, he wishes he had more time here. 
So you can say, Billy, it looks like you're kind of upset. Would you like to ask me for a compromise? And all of a sudden, Billy's little mind goes, I have a different thing I could do right now than whine and pitch a fit and complain. I could say, hey, mom, could we have five more minutes? With respect and calmness, it doesn't start that way. That's not where it usually starts. It takes a lot of practice to get there. Right. Not pretending it doesn't, okay? Might come out sideways, might kind of come out disrespectful, but we're scaffolding them. You can go back and listen to the use scaffolding connecting practice. We're scaffolding them to using their voice to get their needs met in healthy and respectful ways. So you can see a whining kid and be like, hey, I'm kind of wondering if you wish we had more time. Would you like to ask me for a compromise? And you've got to say, then you've got to model with them. Hey, mom. Hey, mom. Can I have five more minutes? Can I have five more minutes? And then the goal is to give them a joyful yes. But thank you so much for asking. We absolutely could do five more minutes now. When it's time to go after the five minutes, we need to sort of get going and let's do that, you know, uh, willingly and without fussing at mom, like we're going to sort of go together. And so you start teaching them how to use their voice in a positive way to replace the negative voice, to replace the sense of a lack of ability to come up against an authority figure with any kind of an opinion and, and behavior, Like we have absolutely seen some of the most volatile behavior in some of our kids. It took a long time, y'all. I'm not pretending this was overnight. But over time, we scaffolded them to being able to negotiate their needs. And it has absolutely been one of the most healing things for our family. So thinking about compromises as a pathway to giving your kid voice When you didn't lay down the right two options or you told them to do something they didn't want to do, you can't always say yes. You can't. But if you practice saying yes when you can, and if you, if I had to say no to Billy, if I, if I had been practicing the language of compromise and he said, Hey mom, can I have a compromise? Can I have five more minutes? I can say, Hey bud, I really wish I could give you five more minutes. You know, if mom could, I would. But today we're going to need to go ahead and go. But when we come back next time, so you're setting up this idea of hope deferred. When we come back next time and I say it's time to go, why don't you ask me for five more minutes? I hope I can say yes. How about that? You know, and you'll get a child who has grown into trusting you and they can be a little bit more flexible in that moment. There's a lot of other things we could talk about with compromises, but do y'all have any ideas? And then I've got a few more. Yeah, I mean, I you know this is this is one that it, that does uh, get used a lot in our house, and I think um, one thing that I that we you touched on, and I just want us to like reiterate: there's um, obviously freedom for you as a parent in this. Like you you said, sometimes it's a hard deadline, and you just don't have a way of offering a compromise in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of a yes day, we talked about this a billion times. Um, is a really good practice to help you filter out when you actually need that hard no and when you are able to make a compromise. Um, and so, like, if you if you need ideas on the yesterday stuff or want to hear kind of the principle of it, go back and listen to our yesterday episode. Um, but, you know, for us, I think when we have... Okay, I've got one using the voice. Yep, okay, so you guys can talk for a second. We're going to go take care of this need. We'll be right back. Stella, what's on your mind? Oh, man. I was honestly, I went back to my childhood, and maybe that's not where I need to go right now, but that's where I am. Make a friend. Let's go. And I thought about, like, how helpful that would have been for my parents to have given me some compromises. And then Mm -hmm. as an adult, 
I would have had more opportunities to compromise my needs and offer compromises to meet my needs instead of kind of like maybe just agreeing with what the other person is saying or going to the other extreme and just being a little bit bossy, you know? So I'm just thinking how much this helps early on as we're talking about like scaffolding and like just helping kids learn skills um, that will help them become adults who are able to offer compromises, to um, know their needs, name them, um, and just connect differently with other adults. I think yeah. that's that's huge. Um, we've been doing groups at uh, MFCC, and I just love seeing how compromises help in those group dynamics. Um, it feels like you have like five kids and they are yours in a way, even though they're not yours, yeah. and they feed into each other's dysregulation, you know, and, <laughs> and you see one jumping from one yeah. place and the other follows because they want to, yeah. you know, they want a mirror and that's how they connect with each other. Um, so being able to be a body to them and just like mm-hmm. share with them and offer compromises, mm-hmm. hey, would you like to sit on this pillow or on this other pillow? Like kind of like provide yeah. some structure in place. Yeah. Like, we're not going to jump, but we're not going to be like, hey, we're not jumping. And that can sound yeah. very disconnecting. Instead, yeah. I'm offering a compromise or choices, whatever that would be. I guess mm-hmm. it's like a mix at this point. Um, yeah. Like, would you like this or this one? Or can you yeah. offer, uh, can we make a compromise? And using a script to help them learn how to do that. Because we might assume that children know how to compromise. Yeah. I don't think that's the case. Usually, it's either like two extremes. They will either like just agree with whatever you're saying because of an authority figure or they will want to do their thing without allowing space for your thoughts. So um, meeting in the middle, it's something or a skill that needs to be taught. So like using a script can be very helpful. Would you like a deal or would you like a compromise? Can you use your words to, uh, to ask for that? Uh, It's very, very helpful and not assuming that children know how to do that. Um, and yeah, I've just seen lots of, lots of growth, especially from day one to day five. And it's just beautiful to talk with parents and share on the growth that we saw and how that kid just like was completely different, was not pushing my buttons anymore. That kid was actually coming to me and asking me, can you sit by my side? And, um, we can listen to the book, to the storytelling together. So I think it, does wonders with connection. Um, and it's just, um, it's just beautiful to see the end results. Now there is a nitty gritty part where it gets really hard, but it's you have tricky. to go through that. Yeah. You have to mm-hmm. go through that. Like every single good thing will not come without, you know, mm-hmm. some hard moments. So being willing oh. to go through that is huge. I love that. Okay. I have a few thoughts that I'm just, I'm like, oh, okay. I have a funny story. So we started doing this, you know, we have older, like young adults now. So are we like 22, 21, 19, 18 year olds? And then we have a couple of kids that are 10, but when our older crew, this is when we started practicing and I stay practicing because this takes so much practice for us as adults. It takes a lot of practice for our kids to reset a communication. Like if you guys have a way that y'all engage one another, this is going to take practice. Do not grow weary. Okay. But we started practicing this with our kids and um, I don't, I don't remember the circumstances. I think it was when I was homeschooling all of them back way back when. And um, I'm sure I had given them like 
a 10 minute, you know, play break or something before we were going back to getting back to like some book work. And they were off in another room playing. And I hadn't even said, hey guys, five more minutes or anything. But I hear the oldest one at the time say to the other kids, hey, when mom says it's time to come back, um, you ask for a five minute compromise. And then you ask for a five minute compromise. There were four of them. Then you ask and I'll ask and that'll give us 20 more minutes. Like they were in there doing the math. They were like, "If, if this thing works, like I heard them scheming. Of course, it was like filling my heart with such joy because yes, they were like scheming against me, but they were trying to figure out how if they all negotiated their needs and stacked it up, it was 20 minutes, which in my mind, I'm like, score, they're actually in there doing math. You know, like it was like such a wonderful like mom moment where I'm like, I am totally killing this mom thing. We don't often feel that way. And, um, but that brings me to sort of a, a practicing compromises point, which is for them to work in the long haul, you don't want to stack them up. Mm-hmm. So if you are teaching your child this rhythm of compromising, it is it can feel like you're being controlled and manipulated. Like we can internalize this interaction that way. And it might start getting that way if they say, well, can I have five more minutes? Okay, well, can I have five more minutes? Can I have five more minutes? So think, I love you used the word structure earlier, Stella, and I don't want to miss that. Thinking about giving voice through shared power, choices and compromises really is this moment, this like beautiful mix of nurture and structure. Mm-hmm. Yes. So hold the structure by saying, hey, sweetie, I gave you a compromise and now we're going to sort of move on. Like you don't have to be rolled over here. You want to hold that and they need you to. They need to know that that we can negotiate. I can ask for something you know, my parent or caregiver can say yes. And then if it's a time-limited thing, then they're going to help us move forward to whatever the next activity was that we compromised to do. And you said it at the top with the example with one of your clients. You guys circled back to the conversation that maybe didn't feel good. And that was the structure part of the moment. So you can ask yourself, like, is it, am I balancing nurture and structure through these choices and compromises? And if not, then they may not be working real well for you or the child. And you want them to be a tool for giving voice, correcting behavior, and building felt safety and trust. And they really can do all of that. But it takes practice. Mm-hmm. And you may have to, you know, negotiate or sure up a little bit of the way y'all are negotiating. That's really good. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, as we close, Stella, if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, you referenced, uh, and I think you referenced it on a recording. Um, if not, I'm going to cut this out and no one's ever going to hear this, but um, that this whole idea hits a little bit differently for you more personally because of your experience with your voice coming to the States, right? Um, do you want to share that story? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I'm not from here. I'm from Albania originally, as I've shared previously. And that means that English is not my first language. Um, And I learned it at school. I learned it practicing with other Americans that I encountered uh, in Albania. Um, But using my voice in a different culture, in a different context, um, was very different for me initially. Um, Initially, it felt like I didn't have, or my voice was not as important as other people's voices just because of different backgrounds that we were in. So 
there is that feeling of um, maybe not being confident enough, uh, mm-hmm. using, you know, a language that is not speaking language, that is not uh, your native language. And I'm thinking about children who also get adopted um, later on and their first language is not English. Um, and I can definitely relate to that vulnerability of uh, mm-hmm. not knowing those exact words that would meet, you know, your needs um, and how important it is to have choices and people who are safe and who mm-hmm. see that need and meet that in beautiful ways. And I feel like that for me happened um, not because I work here, like, Mm-hmm. Um, but like genuinely, I think it happened through a workplace that knows so much about giving voice and knows so much about, uh, giving choices and empowering. And I feel like that is like a huge moment. Um, it makes me have some tears, I'm, but they're I'm like, sure enough with you, dear. We're, 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 <laughs> Stella and I are just crying together. <laughs> yeah, there I go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as if you didn't have enough things in your day, you have to hear us cry here and yeah, but anyways, so, um, I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful when you connect um, with people in ways that empower them to be who they are and allow space for that to come in a natural way without forcing it, but yet challenging them in a, you know, in a compassionate way to, um, to express those needs. Um, So yeah, it, it does hit differently for me. And I, and I feel for kids who maybe even like little ones, like four or three who are still, trying to, you know, um, build a vocabulary and have like different words to express their needs. It's hard. Like sometimes we expect them to know what they need. And honestly, they, they might not, and they might not even have the words. So allowing for different ways for them to explore that play is a beautiful way to, Mm -hmm. to explore, um, you know, needs and to use their voice. Um, arts are a beautiful way, music, dancing around, um, using painting and, and different um, art modalities to allow for that um, expression to happen. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it might not be verbal and it might take a while mm-hmm. to come uh, across as verbal communication. So yeah, but thanks for asking that. Appreciate oh, you. I love that, Stella. Oh, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so Tana asked Stella one last question. Let me ask you one last question. You know, one... Yeah. Uh, criticism of this can be uh, this does not work in the real world. This is, you know, sometimes life just hands you what you get. And, uh, you know, we have heard, all of us have heard different times, you get what you get, you don't throw a fit. And that's kind of, you know, a mantra pass on. Why don't you speak to that? Does this principle, these ideas work in the real world? We have another hour to record, right? (laughs) We have a whole other hour for the answer to that. Um, okay, let me let me try to be a little concise. Um, when I said like the hallmarks of secure attachment are negotiating your needs, and Stella, you've said it a couple of times, and I know you well enough to know like you mean it with the core of essence of who you are, like that sense of self and autonomy, and the ability to use your voice to advocate for yourself. Those are skills that we desperately need as grown-ups. And you're right. Things don't always go our way. We don't always have an opportunity to um, advocate for ourselves or use our voices. Sometimes we find ourselves, even as grown-ups, in situations where we have very little power. But if we give our children lots of opportunities over the course of their life to practice 
in relationship with us, using that power, they will know how to use it. We will have built up the skills and the experiences and the opportunities so that when they are all grown, standing on their own two feet, and they're in a situation at work, and they could not ask for a compromise, it they can respond in that moment and not lose a sense of self-agency. They can opt to stay in that work environment and do what the boss said because the boss said so. Or maybe they can start an exit strategy because they know that's a toxic work environment for them. Like giving our children young the ability to grow into adults who have a sense of like, what should I feel like? when I use my voice? What does it feel like to use my voice and it be disrespected? What does it use, What does it feel like to use my voice and it be heard and validated? Like, we want them to have practice with us. Yes, the world is not an easy place. But you know what? You can advocate for your needs more often than you probably think you can. And if you have no practice or, or ability to know that you can, then you have adults who are not advocating or They are doing it, again, in harmful ways, destructive ways, in ways that are not setting their world up to be a positive one and maybe aren't setting up the world of those around them that they love to be a positive one. Stella, do you have something to say? What are your thoughts about that? I see you shaking your head. What's on your mind about that? It's it's what I said earlier as well. Like when we work on these skills early on, we're not just increasing connection between us as a caregiver and the child right in this moment, but we're like investing in a future that will look differently for them. And I fully agree with that. Like every word that you said, it's so, so important. So it's like, it's a long-term investment. I know that there are quick fixes. I know that punishments can feel like easier for some parents. Traditional parenting can feel like an easier uh, way to get out of a situation and you get control back and you're done with a day. But if we want long-lasting interventions and things that will actually, we will like benefit from during our life, like our entire life. I feel like we need to do the hard work early on and then we're going to see the rewards of that um, as we, you know, witness them as adults who are able to advocate for themselves. So I think it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, Tommy, you're right that we we could record probably two more hours on this. Conversation. Yeah. There's a lot more to get to here. And so maybe we will. Maybe we will have a, a second, like a follow-up episode to it sometime soon. Um, but th- this has been great. And both of y'all, thank you so much for coming and for sharing all of this. And um, next week, we referenced it a few times, but next week we will get into the conversation on repair. And so um, that obviously goes hand in hand with this conversation today. But um, us kind of modeling and showing our kids how to repair um, when something gets ruptured in your relationship. And so um, thank you all both. And uh, we will see you next week. Well, again, a huge thank you to both Stella and Tana for sharing their perspectives, both, you know, Stella's professional therapeutic opinion and, and perspective, as well as Tana's as a parent um, and a professional coming coming at this um, now, having done this in her home for, for many years. And so uh, I, I just would, uh, you know, kind of um, 
encourage us as we go today that if you're hearing these things, if you're hearing these these principles and these practices taught in these episodes and you're thinking, yeah, it's easy for you to talk about it on a podcast. It's harder to do it in real life. You are, number one, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, and number two, I would just say uh, that we are uh, coming pretty humbly to these um, episodes as we have our, our own scars from putting these things into practice. And so um, just know that if you're hearing us talk about these things on the show, they are things that we are trying our best to implement um, or have had some success implementing behind um, closed doors with our own families. And so um, we're really, really thankful for your listenership. We just want you to know too that these are things that we are really um, working on in our own homes and, and communities. And, and uh, that's why we are believers in them. And so uh that is all we've got for today. Um, again, I'll remind you that deadline is coming up for um, Cultivate Connection Facilitator training. And so if you have not done so yet, please do head to empoweredtoconnect.org to check out that application and fill that out. If you're somebody who is actively um, a leader in your community when it comes to um, the community of uh, of, of parenting or of specifically um, foster and adoptive parenting, uh, we just would love for you to consider um, going through this training. And so the application is there on our website, empoweredtoconnect.org. You can find it there. Um, we'll also encourage you that just as we wrap up this series on connecting practices, we got some super fun interviews coming in the fall and are excited to get um, some folks that we've been uh, really hungry to talk to you for a long time on the show. And so we'll be doing that more this fall. Um, next week brings up our last connecting practice that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to repair um, with Jesse Ferris and Becca McKay. So they'll be back uh, with us next week and we'll talk about repair then. Until then, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, and for everybody at ETC, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.